When a sign goes up uh, in, your, uh, in a restaurant or, or fast food takeaway in your area uh, that reads under new management, uh, it provokes one of two responses. Either you're disappointed, uh, you, you like the current chef, uh, you, you, you go there on a Saturday night, uh, you, you, you trust them, uh, you're, you're happy with, uh, with the status quo, you don't want any, any changes to your, to your eating habits. Or alternatively, uh, you could see the need for a change. Uh, you, perhaps you, you, you've always been disappointed by the honey chili beef or something uh, and, and, you, and you're excited by the, by the prospect uh, of new recipes and uh, new flavours. Uh, you, you want a change, you, you can see the need for one uh, and you welcome it. Jesus has in a sense uh, moved behind enemy lines as we uh, begin in Mark chapter 5. And the disciples and him have, have reached the other side uh, after their, uh, their journey last week. Uh, they've, they've come across to Decapolis, that's a word for ten cities, the other side of the Jordan, on the east side. After the stormy sailing, they've arrived in the country of the Gerasenes. To a small town by the Sea of Galilee on the eastern shore, uh, that's in a larger region called Gadara. And that's what it's referred to in, in Matthew's account of this event. The other side is Gentile territory. It's not the promised land anymore. It's not, it's not the Jewish um, region. And Jesus is immediately met with someone uh, who, who, who shows all the effects of Satan's influence in the world. It's Satan's world for this man. C.S. Lewis once wrote that there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race uh, can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, the other is to believe and to feel an unhelpful interest in them. And we have seen both of these in our day. An older idea from a, from a modern age of reason, uh, from a rational perspective that, that, that rejects any, any idea of, of demons or spirits of any kind. Uh, it's just what you see, it's just what you can touch, uh, they would say. Real is what I, I experience and I know nothing of, of any of this stuff. And there's still plenty of people around who think like that. But there's, there's a more recent trend, a, a sort of postmodern kind of mystical resurgence of such things, a kind of um, fascination. You see it in, in films like, like supernatural thrillers like The Exorcist or, or, or Halloween in the 70s. And more recently, in the noughties, in TV shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and even more recently in Twilight and that sort of thing, enabling the masses to, to, to dabble in this kind of thing as never before. The passage, of course, gives us a, a biblical balance to the topic. It's, it's neither fake nor fun, is what this passage shows us. It's neither fake nor fun. Yes, demons are real. Uh, Jesus leaves us in no doubt. Uh, but, they're, but they're not to be dabbled in. There's no, this is no candy floss at the fun fair. And we'll get the full sense of that as we see their intention later in Mark 5. Jesus gets off the boat and immediately, that's Mark's favourite word, remember? Immediately a man comes out of the tombs and we're straight off told that he has an unclean or impure spirit. The evil spiritual world is, is real. The, the rational explanation that he's just crazy is not available to us. We're told what, it, what, what, it, what he has. This is a man who, who hasn't just come out of the tombs, he actually lives there. And that means he's defiled. 
to Jewish people you're not allowed to touch a dead body so contact with dead bodies made, made you defiled for seven days but if you live there if you live among the dead bodies later we discover that this is near where there are pigs as well and to a Jewish person that also was a defilement and he's a wild man isn't he clearly people have tried to restrain this man he has the ability to, to break chains a superhuman strength and he hasn't just been working out that's not uh, available to us as an explanation no, it comes from somewhere else and, and he's been getting worse doesn't he? you notice that there, the way it's written it seems that there, there was a time when he could be chained up but, but, but not anymore and he's been roaming around about the mountains and among the tombs and he's been shouting out he's been crying out loud and he's been, he's been self-harming hasn't he he's been cutting himself with stones but this is not just a maniac this is a demoniac this is not just a madman we're told very clear this is a demon possessed man we're left in no doubt no rational only explanation here demons are real they exist and if we get the connection he's a strong man because he has been possessed by something evil he's been possessed by something of the strong man who moves who moves into the house and is hard to get rid of earlier in chapter 3 you remember the strong man in chapter 3 verse 27 you, if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna rob him you gotta you gotta disarm him you gotta tie him up because he's strong and that was Satan himself. Look at Satan's influence on the house, on, on the man. <laughs> you, might, you might walk into someone's new house and say, I like what you've done with the place. Well, look at what Satan has done with the place. He's, he's isolated, hasn't he? Such is this man's state that his family have disowned him. And we find out later that he has a family, he, ha- he has a home. Uh, but they're, they're not by his side uh, we find out uh, he, he's, he's no friends in the land of the living uh, he, he's got friends we find that out later too but he hasn't got a friend in the world right now the people of the town have driven him away this is the very opposite of, of community which is, what we're, which is what we're built for you know that he's isolated see him. He, he, he's made the man wild He's running around half clothed or possibly naked. We, we can tell from the emphasis on him being clothed later. And he can't be tamed by anyone. He shouts out in terror. That's the very opposite of, of singing God's praise and declaring God's praise, which is what your mouth was made for. Really. Every one of us. He's, he, he's, made the, he's also made the man destroy himself, hasn't he? Satan in his world. Because he's self-harming. With stones. It's the very opposite of peace and joy which we were made for. He's descended into a life of filth and, and loneliness and terror. And it's hard to find anyone who would say that, that this is in any way how life was intended to be. Yet this is the result of Satan's influence in the world. This is a sorry picture. James Edward, who who, who writes a commentary on Mark, said this is one of the most lamentable stories of human wretchedness in the Bible. Mark describes him more like a ferocious wild animal than a human being made in God's image. Isn't that right? Look at what happens when Satan gets his way with people. You know, he he isn't just a fun character. (laughs) 
He, he isn't just a stone in your shoe. He, he, is, he isn't just a bad day at the office. No, he destroys people. He destroys people. He continues his attack on God by, by destroying a human being made in the image of God. And he gets you to destroy yourself. Do you realise that this is the desire of, of your enemy? He doesn't just want to annoy you. He doesn't just want to lead you into the odd sin. He wants to destroy you. He wants to wipe you and the image of God that you are from the face of the earth. That's what he wants. This is Mark's third exorcism story. And it's the most detailed, it's the most graphic of picture of what Satan can do. Please take him seriously. Please realise that he's at work in the world. Now Satan's world. Now look at, look at Jesus' world. Because the man means Jesus, doesn't he? Coming out of the boat. Nobody wants to go here in their holidays. You know, this is no stop on the, on the cruise kind of route that you want to get out at. No. <laughs> but contrary to all expectation and reason, Jesus, Jesus does. He gets out. And he, and he comes to, and he meets the man. And conflict occurs, doesn't it? There's always conflict when darkness meets light. When the dark meets the light of the world. And the text says here that he saw Jesus from afar. And he ran. And he fell down before him. The man falls at Jesus' feet. But, but, but hold on. Is, is he hurling himself there as an attack? Or, or, is, or is it an act of, of worship? Which one is it? As he falls at Jesus' feet. That word fell down is used almost always to mean paying homage or homage or showing reverence or, 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 or as a sign of worship. So that's what he's doing. And so of course there seems to be a bit of a, a split personality, doesn't there? Because uh, perhaps better to see it as a conflict in the man. Uh, conflict in the man because, because he bows in homage, but look what he says. He comes out with a completely different message verbally. He says, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Clearly the man longs to be free himself. He sees Jesus, he bows before him, and then the demons take over his voice. You say, how do you know that? Well, we know it's the demons speaking because of what they call Jesus. Son of the Most High God. No, no man alive, far less a Gentile man across the lake, has come close to this level of identification of Jesus. Be surprised if you've even heard of Jesus at all. He's so isolated. On his own in the tombs in Gentile territory. But, but the son of the most high God, every time the demons are conversing with Jesus, you know, that they, they use his name. The third time it's happened. They know who he is. Uh, he's the Holy One of God in chapter 1. He's the Son of God in chapter 3 when, when they meet. They know he's the second person of the Trinity. There's no problem with their Trinitarian theology. Uh, James 2 says, Even the demons believe and shudder. They know who's boss. They, they know he, that he is the, he's the unique Son of God. They, they know the only one. They know that he's God's power because they know that he's God in the flesh. And so they cry out in desperation, even using the very name of God, to implore him, to beg him for mercy. And while we're on the topic of names, Jesus asks the man for his name. 
And the response tells its own story. My name is Legion, for we are many. Now, if you know anything about English, the grammar in there is all wrong. But there's a reason for that. (laughs) Keep an eye on the pronouns here. Is it it singular? Is it my and he? As as in the demon-possessed man himself? Or, or Or is it plural? We and us as in a multitude of demons. Uh, Is it unclean spirit or is it unclean spirits? You keep an eye on it, right? Look again at verse 7. What have you to do with me? Do not torment me. Okay, so the man's voice is still controlled by the demons. And they speak through him as an individual. As if it's him. Even though we later find out that there are many. So it's me. Do not torment me. What have you to do with me? Then Jesus carries us on by by referring to you unclean spirit. Singular in verse 8. Okay, but by by verse 9, it's both. As I just said to you, my name is Legion, for we are many. And there's an introduction of a a military term, isn't there? Legion. That's that's a Roman term for for an army that's that's fitting for, for a conflict. Uh, another reminder of the, of the power and the destructive intention of this force of a demonic army. A legion is a company of Roman soldiers which could number up to 6,000. 6, now we're not saying there's exactly 6,000 of these demons, but we, what we are saying is that it's a vast number. Uh, it's enough to destroy approximately 2,000 pigs, whatever that means, whatever number that means. And then look at verse 10, it again uses both pronouns. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. But that's the last of it. Because this verse signals the beginning of the separation of the two. Okay, in language. Okay, separation of the he from the we. Their time together is coming to an end in language and it's just about to come to an end in practice. Separation of the man from the host of, of the many demons. There's plenty of conflict. There's plenty of internal struggle. There, there, there appears to be a split personality bowing at Jesus' feet. And, and then a voice controlled by demons giving the opposite message. A pronoun switch. Separation's coming. That's what that language is saying to us. Verse 11 introduces us to a herd of pigs nearby. And the demons are clear. They don't want to be sent out of the country. No, clearly Jesus can. And they beg him to permit them to enter the pigs. And Jesus agrees. And they're allowed to. Emphasis, allowed to. Okay? Enter a herd of 2,000 pigs. And with a violent rush, they, they rush down a steep slope into the sea. Such a such destructive power. I'm sure you could hear it. The, like the kind of rush of them. 2,000 of them. Verse 13 is notable for its ease, isn't it? He gave them permission. Just like that. He doesn't have to say specific words. He uses other words earlier and tells us that he's talking about casting them out. But he doesn't have to. It's just a matter of fact, isn't it? Inside the man there's conflict. But there's no real conflict here. There's no real war. It's a matter of incredible simplicity. Satan to Jesus must bow. Satan to Jesus must bow. Martin Luther once said that the devil is God's devil. He can only do as he is permitted. And that's exactly what we see here. 
Jesus' power over the spiritual world is just as good as his power over the natural world last week. He speaks to the sea like you might speak to a wild animal. And he speaks to a man that's behaving like a wild animal. And, it's just, and he just says the word. And all is calm at the sea. And all is calm with the man. He just says the word and the demoniac is sitting, dressed in his right mind. He's at peace. And he's now with people as they come to see him again. And, 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 and soon he'll open his mouth. And, 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 and not in cries of fit and rage. But with the good news of the mercy of God. And what he's done for him. Look what happens when, when Jesus takes over management. He's under new management. <laughs> he, he clicks undo to all the work of Satan. Doesn't he? He takes the isolation. And he brings him into a community of people to gather, to gather to see him. He takes the cries of anguish and he makes him a praiser of God. He takes the wild man and he makes him seen in the proper biblical sense. He takes the naked and he clothes him in his righteousness. Doesn't he? This is as sorry a person as you can imagine. It's difficult to think of someone in a worse circumstance. But is Jesus up to the task? Absolutely. Absolutely. The transformation is nothing short of incredible. The man is now functioning as a proper image bearer of God. He's righting the wrongs of Satan's little power trip of evil. Just as he's righting the wrongs of Satan's first go at destroying God's image bearers back in the Garden of Eden. That's the very reason Jesus is here in Mark. He's on earth as a, as a fixer. Someone who will sort out the problem of Satan. Someone who will crush him in the head. Someone who will take over the management of people from the kingdom of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of, of, of God. Someone who will deal with the biggest problem of the world. I wonder is that what he's done for you? I wonder is he your new boss? Is he, is he Lord? Are you under new management this morning? You can say my chains are gone. I've been set free. You, you can say he rescued me. You can say he was merciful to me. He was good to me. He, he brought me out of darkness. He brought me into light. He set me free. And finally look at man's reaction. What sort of reception does Jesus get? I mean, people often say, you know, if only I could see Jesus. You know, if only I could see some of these miracles, you know. Uh, I, you know what? Uh, that would be me. I, I, would, I would absolutely be believing. There would be no doubt about it. And that would mean, of course, here, that surely the whole village of Gerasa was one. But not so. Not so. We see two reactions, don't we? We see fear and rejection. The people of this area come to assess this man who was once demon possessed. They remember what he was like. I'm sure he was the talk of the place. I'm sure he was a local embarrassment. And someone has heard a rumour of something to do with a Jew called Jesus from across the lake. And so people go to investigate as any of us would. And they find Jesus with the man. And they find him totally transformed. And they find that, it's, that he's been with Jesus and, and, and it's made such a difference. It's incredible. 
then how do they react? Well, it tells us there they are afraid. They're scared. We read that in verse 15. Just like the disciples were. Remember when, when he calmed the storm. In, in, in this more public spectacle across the lake. That, that they're scared. They're afraid of the power on display. Power which calms inner storms and, and outer ones. And that's completely understandable I would suggest to you. But what do they do with that fear? Verse 16 tells us that they... They hear from the witnesses of the of the of the fate of the of the of the pigs and the demons. More importantly, the pigs, that's what they're interested in, and they reject him. Perhaps perhaps you don't think it's terribly nice what Jesus allowed the demons to do in that herd of pigs. Perhaps you think that was a bit much. A bit, a bit uncalled for. Does does he need to harm these people's livelihood? But uh, both Jesus and Mark just pass over the fate of, the, of these businessmen who've lost their herd. No comment is made. It deals, with the, it deals with the important matter, doesn't it? That's the man. And from, from what we can clearly see, one person is always more important than any amount of money. How can you put a value on human life made in the image of God? How can you? How can you prefer a herd of pigs, no matter how many it was? Demons are real, but people are really valuable. That's clear. Never forget that. Never see something in the street and think, that's a nobody. There's no such thing. Never never forget that. Never think of somebody as, as not important. Because that's ridiculous. And God's as far as God's word's concerned. Never undervalue the life of the old or the very, very young. Never. But these people did the sums and they came up with the wrong answer. They would rather have their pigs and leave the man enslaved to Satan. They feared and they didn't welcome, they rejected. They said, Jesus, please leave. They chose money rather than Jesus. They, did, they didn't want any bother. Uh, they didn't want any, any hardship. They, they were happy with things as they were. They wanted pork for their dinner next Saturday and now they're not going to have it. They, 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 wanted, they didn't want any major revolutions to what was going on in their local town. They, they, they were happy where they were. They see the par. They're afraid and they want their pigs back. They would rather have a demoniac among them than, than God in the flesh. They choose madness rather than Jesus. They choose Satan's world rather than Jesus' world. And aren't we all a little like this man? This, this demoniac? Certainly that's how we started. You say I was never like that man. No, 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 come on. I'm from a respectable family. I'm from a, I'm from a good education. And I, and I, 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 maybe not to the full extent, but to some extent, we all began under the realm of sin. Ephesians 2 tells us that. We were following the prince of the power of the air. Like this man, we, 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 were, we, we were distorted image bearers. Not functioning as a, as a proper image bearer of God. The image is still there, of course it is, but it's badly tainted. Sometimes really severely. 
And I want to tell you that we all start off mad, but, but, but sadly we all still struggle with madness. You say, what are you talking about? Because isn't sin madness full stop? Listen to, listen to Ecclesiastes 9 verse 3. This is an evil in that. This, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That the same event happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. And madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that they go to the dead. Sin is madness. Socially accepted madness, but madness nonetheless. Think about, think about sexual sin, right? You think it's sane to think that, that, that any brief encounter with someone else's husband or wife is ever going to turn out okay? You think that's ever going to work out? That's madness. You read these things sometimes. Uh, I, I remember coming across it uh, in Men's Health magazine. Uh, studies show that, that men who cheat on their wives are four times more likely to die alone. Well, hello? You know, we know why that is. Suddenly we, we've discovered something incredible here and it's, it's blatantly obvious. You think it's seen to always want more and more of things or money and, and, and never be satisfied? That's, that's, that's madness. You think there's anything seen about running around drunk at the weekends? That's madness. You think jealousy is ever going to work out for any of us? And isn't it self-harming as well? Just like this man. In a real sense. We're, we're, we're doing harm to ourselves. There's an American pastor called Paul Tripp. He writes about this. And I want to put up, pull up a quote now from him. It's very interesting. In the biblical sense of, the, of what the word means. You have gone mad. Sin has simply made you crazy. Without realising it. You have, been taken, you have taken on a distorted view of reality. You have a distorted view of yourself, others, life and God. Life will never operate the way you want it to. Your reality is irrational and your hope is hopeless. Your dreams are gas. And the more you work to fill your heart, the emptier it becomes. The more you work to get your dream, the more it vaporizes in your hands. The more you live for you, the more envious you become. It is socially accepted madness. But madness nonetheless. It cannot and will not ever work. All sin is madness because sanity is living for God. That's the point. Sanity is the way Jesus changes. It's, it's, it's to live for God. It's seeking God. And that's when we see the other reaction which comes from the man. It's not fear and rejection. It's faithful following. And then commission. It's the contrast, isn't there, in this whole section. It's either bad fear or good faith. It happens in the, in the boat last week. It happens here. It happens again. It's either bad fear or good faith. Which one is, which one is it? Which, what's your reaction? When, when this man meets Jesus, he, he comes under new management. He, he, when it's not just what, what, what Jesus has done for him in verse 20, it's what the Lord has done for him in verse 19. That's new management. What the Lord has done. He's the Lord now. And, and Jesus uh, starts on his return trip back across the lake. And the man wants to be the 13th disciple. Doesn't he? He says, can I go with you? Uh, he wants to follow him back across the lake. But Jesus says, no. He's the Lord. He makes the decisions. And Jesus makes him the first missionary sent out in the Bible. You know, we didn't realise that. But he sends him back um, to his, his family and to his friends uh, this time with the message 
Now, remember across the Galilee, people can't hear the message yet because they can't understand the sort of Messiah he is. They can't get the full thrust of who Jesus is. But here, it's like, you know, no problem. Go ahead. Share the message. No such Jewish background problems. He tells them to go home. Uh, he's, been, he's been commissioned by Jesus, hasn't he? He's been, he, he says, I want to go with you. Jesus says, go back home uh, and speak to your own people. And in fact, he does the groundwork for what happens in chapter 7 when Jesus returns. And, and now they, they are expecting him to heal a, a deaf man. And they say that he has done all things well. He comes back across again, Jesus. And, and this man's clearly been, been, been at work. He's been, he's, been, he's, been, he's been telling people. Because they're expecting, they know something about him now. And according to some sources, Paul would, would later preach to, to Gentiles here, whenever he was in, Ar- in Arabia. Tell them what the Lord has done, Jesus says. Tell them how he's been merciful to you. Tell them around the Decapolis travel round. Tell them that you're under new management. You, you, you weren't clothed in anything, and now you're clothed in Christ. You've been transformed. I hope you see this morning that the devil is a wrecker. He destroys an increasing measure. There's no such thing as a little sin. It's madness. It's madness. It leads you on and on. But Jesus, look at him. He he fixes. uh, He transforms. He clothes in righteousness. And we welcome him. We have to welcome him. If we have any sense. Isn't that right? And we go out to share with our friends and our family. I wonder, I wonder who that person is this week that, that, that God wants you to share with. Maybe not the whole, you know, we're not going to go for the, the, the whole thing. Maybe, maybe just a start. Maybe just a start as to what God has done. How he's been merciful to you. How he's, how he's changed you. Have a think who that might be. And as we do that, we're going to bow our heads in a word of prayer.